The Outlet. The Talk of Wanaka. Well, it was an idea my father had many years ago, way back in the early 80s, because we were going to set it up originally in Christchurch, and it ended up he was involved with Tim and George Wallace with the Air Show, and we used to supply a lot of the stuff for them. So it ended up that we sort of decided to set up here. One, it had all the right climate, the access to the airport, that type of thing. So I'm a medical doctor, I'm an ophthalmologist. I'm trained in Europe, Switzerland, France, Spain, and overseas in the States and New Zealand. And I'm working in New Zealand for the last few years. I work at Eton. I help the community of York, Wanica, doing surgery, retina, glaucoma, and cataracts. And apart from that, I also work in the university. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour. In this podcast, I talk to Jason Rhodes from the National Transport and Toy Museum, Wanaka. We find out about the origins of the museum, what plans there are for new displays, and some of the unique items in their collections. Plus, Dr. March is an ophthalmologist and lecturer in Dunedin. We chat about his upcoming presentation at Wanaka Library in January to encourage children and teens to get excited and motivated to learn about science. Local voices, local info, the outlet, the talk of Wanaka. Let's check out a local event in Wanaka brought to you by Liquorland 3 Parks, there for your next event with unreal deals. The Wanaka Park Run takes place every Saturday at 8am during summer at Wanaka Station Park. Now it's a 5k run and you can find out more by clicking on the things to do button, then events on your Wanaka app. Jason Rhodes from the National Transport and Toy Museum Wanaka continues the fantastic work started by his father. We talk about how the collections come into their possession, what plans there are for new displays, and some of the unique items you can see at the museum. G'day Jason, welcome to the Outlet Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, can you tell me more about the history of the National Transport and Toy Museum in Wanaka? Where did it all begin? Well, it was an idea my father had many years ago, way back in the early, well, 80s, because we were going to set it up originally in Christchurch, and it ended up, he was involved with Tim and George Wallace with the year show, and we used to supply a lot of the stuff for them. So it ended up that we sort of decided to set up here. One, it had all the um, right climate, the access to the airport, that type of thing. Mm -hmm and the passing population with the tourists. You've got an extensive collection of vehicles, aircraft and toys, so how do all the collections come to you, Jason? In the early days, it was auctions, flea markets, word of mouth, all that type of thing. People, once we'd opened, would come to us and tell us they had certain things that whether we were interested. So it was a real mixed bag in the early years because my father was a bit of a trader and everything right from heavy machinery to smaller items, things like that. So once we opened the museum, it just grew like Topsy, basically. So what types of vehicles are on display in the museum? And are there any particularly rare or unique items in the collection? Yeah, there's lots of all sorts of unique vehicles and things. Things generally have a storyline behind them. And, you know, it's, we don't collect things so much as their monetary value. It's more of what it might mean to people. And some of the things that we've got to the average person wouldn't mean much, but to the right groups, look, it's like gold. We have things, there's the only Rover Sunbeam left in the world, ambulance from World War One. 
things like that. Vehicles that are featured in movies, you know, we've done, you know, quite a bit of adverts and movies, you know, like Pete's Dragon, all those sorts of things, Bright Light, and all these sorts of things just add to the history of each thing. Do you have an HT Holden? That was my first car, and unfortunately it got stolen. Well, we don't have a lot of Holdens. We have a few, but not a lot. And we haven't got an HT. We've got, you know, varying ones we've collected. It was one of those things in the early years, it wasn't big with Nafala, the Holden thing. So we've got about, you know, half a dozen or so around the place, yeah. Could you tell me about the aviation section of the museum, including the aircraft on display and their historical significance? The aircraft we've got are well-rounded from military-type aircraft to civilian to airliner. Because once again, it's a cross-section of everything. And we've got, you know, stuff that you won't see anywhere else in New Zealand, like the AM2 Antonov, it's a Russian, you know, giant biplanes the only circle plane that exists that's actually flown. So yeah, once again, a well-rounded one, you know, group of you know, items again. So you are trying to repatriate some aircraft, so that one you mentioned, are you looking at more to add to the collection? Yeah, so we've got a repatriation program going on, and they're all ex-Air New Zealand aircraft from the DC-8 in 737, 747, even the Electra. There's a few others along the way that, if we can, you know, get them in the right place, we'll, we'll, you know, repatriate them. So at this stage, we've got the DC-8. That's going to be the first one off the rank. We've had court documents for the last four years going through Brazil so that we can take ownership and allow us to move it. Because you can't just go and pick these things up and walk out, you know, with these things. You've got to have all the right paperwork. We're sending a crew of people there back in next year in January to sort of try and free the way so when we get it to the New Zealand border, MB and things will have all the right paperwork and things like that. So it's a very time-consuming thing. You know, moving the plane itself will be the easy part in reality. It's the legal documentation to move and enter countries is the big thing. When you're dealing with, you know, it's at the top of the Amazon, you know, it's not an easy feat. <laughs> paperwork always holding you up, right? Yeah. It is. Now, I love your toy collection, so can you talk me through some antique or notable toys that visitors can expect to see? Look, the toys are a funny one. Is once again, there are Barbie doll collections, Sylvanian collections, Star Wars collections. You know, we've got massive Lego collections. There's just about everything you can think of, the dolls, all those sorts of things. And we must have hundreds and hundreds of metres of cabinets all set up with all the different dolls and, you know, toys and trains. And I've got a group of volunteers at the moment. They're setting up huge, big train tables for the kids so they'll be able to play with them, that type of thing. Because quietly what we want to do is get things that are more interactive for the kids. And, you know, it's even the big kids that just come through. They want to just reminisce and explain to their own kids of, where some of their toys have actually derived from because we've got early matchbox collections things like that meccano you know it's bako sheds you name it it's everywhere here 
I'm a big Star Wars fan, and so I'm a big Star Wars kid. And I, when I was cleaning out Mum and Dad's garage, I found I forgot I even had it. It was a Kenner 1977 Darth Vader Tie Fighter. Yeah, and it was sitting there covered in dust, and I've restored it all up. And so things like that are just are just great memories for people, aren't they? They are. Look, it's quite funny because quite often I'll be around the museum in different areas and you know the stories you hear you know one lot of gentlemen that were much the same age as I were they were talking about matchbox toys and one said well I used to have that but so and so stole that one from me and you know so I stole this one from him and you know it's those funny sorts of wee stories that we all get that just look it promotes the reminiscing and things when people walk out the door they just have a whole different attitude to everything mm, yeah and that's that's part of the the great work that you're doing so you are moving a toy collection from Christchurch can you tell me a bit about that yeah so Alan uh, who was gentleman and his family that had a toy museum in Christchurch they sort of moved it now and so we're moving all down to Wanaka here and so that's part of what we'll you know setting up at the moment so there's once again massive matchbox hot wheels all sorts lego trains that are just going to bolster what we're doing on a bigger way so we're sort of bringing that in so that's going to take us a couple of years to get that but there's a massive amount already on display we've reported them in the last six to eight weeks we're trying to get a certain amount so if people are coming through at christmas time it'll all be there that they can get a good idea of what it's all about. So are there any upcoming events or exhibitions that visitors should be aware of when they're planning their visit to the National Transport and Toy Museum? Once again, the big train tables we're setting up and even the massive amount of Lego that we're sort of setting up and we're trying to make this more interactive. Even the emergency fire engines and things like this, we're setting up them now. Got another volunteer who's going through checking everything out. So during the course of the year, we'll be getting that set up a lot better. We've put up this massive marquee. And so things are now starting to find their way as to being repatriated together because we've had military in all sorts of spots and different buildings, but we're putting it all together now so you can get a better idea of it all, things like that, you know. So yeah, it's just been a full-on year. And to be honest, next year is not going to be any easier. It's going to be probably even more so. And uh, one last question, because I know you've got, uh, speaking of memories, you've got Santa there. And as a kid, I was taken into town a lot by my uh, grandparents to farmers to see Santa on the side of the farmers building there. So how is Santa? Santa's good. We've got his head up there so everyone can sort of see the jolly big man. The next stage is a bit more work on it than everyone sort of has bargained on because Coming from Auckland, the steel tubing, which is like scaffolding tubing, that's in the fiberglass, we've actually got to cut it out and replace some of it, things like that. So with all the work we've had this year, I just haven't been able to get to them. But next year, we're definitely going to have the first stage. So there's four different stages that will have to be involved. And so I'm sort of hoping to at least do one stage at least every two years, if not year, but with so many things coming in left, right and centre and the big projects that we've had on, I've just had to shelve some things and we are winning there, you know, we've managed to put at least another two and a half thousand square metres of display space out there for people, rain, hail or snow, 
things like that. So it makes our life a bit easier and we're just building cabinets flat out, getting tens of thousands of toys out there. So all in all, it's coming together, but it's an evolving program. It'll never be finished because look, everything gets older, including us. Can I just thank you for all the work you do? I mean, it's so great that you're preserving all this and, and you know making these great displays for people to see. And if people want to find some more online, Jason, where should they go? Look, they can go to the museum website. And as I say, people, it has a technical name, but just Google Toy Museum Wanaka. It'll be the first thing that'll pop up. And if that fails, we're always on the end of the phone. Hey, well, thank you for taking some time out for your busy day to have a chat. I really appreciate it. And have a wonderful Christmas. Thanks for that. And I hope to see everyone here and we can show them around personally. The Outlet. Jobs Board. Here are some of the jobs listed this week on the Wanaka app. Thanks to New World 3 Parks for when it's your job to do the grocery shopping. Mount Aspiring College require an arts technician to provide support to their arts department. Now this role supports teaching staff and students with the preparation of materials for courses and also basic maintenance of equipment. Lake Wanaka Tourism and Wanaka Eyesight are looking for a motivated, solution-focused accounts coordinator. It's a diverse role with plenty of variety and flexible hours, including working school hours and aspiring pools and spas are looking for an operations and retail administrator. If you thrive in a dynamic retail environment and excel in administration, then they want you on their team. You can find these jobs and more by clicking on the Jobs button on the navigation bar of the Wanaka app. Local jobs, local voices, local information. The Outlet, the talk of Wanaka. Let's have a look at what's on in Wanaka, brought to you by Liquorland 3 Parks, there for your next event with Unreal Deals. A new club has started in Wanaka, the Wanaka Indoor Remote Control Model Club. They meet up every Saturday, 10 till 11, at the Wanaka Recreation Centre, and members can meet and use their radio-controlled models in an indoor space. Now, the cost is $5 per person to pay for the court hire, and you can bring along your remote-controlled planes, drones, helicopters, cars or trucks. There's more info by clicking on things to do, then events on your Wanaka app. Dr. March is an ophthalmologist and lecturer in Dunedin. He has a presentation at Wanaka Library in January 2024 to encourage children and teens to get excited and motivated to learn about science. Plus, we find out about some of his research on the eye's behaviour in zero gravity. Dr. March, welcome to the Outlet Podcast. Good morning. Now, can you give me a bit of your background about how you came to New Zealand and what you currently do, please? So I'm a medical doctor. I'm an ophthalmologist. I'm trained in Europe, Switzerland, France, Spain, and overseas in the States and New Zealand. And I'm working in New Zealand for the last few years. I work at Ethan. I help the community of York, Wanika, doing surgery, writing and local online cataracts. And apart from that, I also work in the university. Are you lecturing in the university or doing experiments there? I do both things. I work basically with medical students, but also I'm involved in researching other different types of backgrounds. And part of the research is the one that we want to share with you today. So can you please share some examples from your presentation that you'll be doing at Wanaka Library that would encourage and motivate teens to explore science and research? Science and research are very, very important. And basically we have to explain why they are so important. And I think it's interesting to give engaging reasons, things that the children can see. Teenagers said, oh, you know, that's cool. That's interesting. I would like to get involved. And I think that we have to be able to create this feeling 
that it's something achievable, feasible, and they can get involved. So basically, we will explain some experiences about some of my research in which we have been flying in zero gravity, and we have doing medical research, basically, in ophthalmology, because I'm an ophthalmologist. And basically, we want just to involve and open discussions to motivate people. Because even from New Zealand, we can do everything we want. We can reach the stars. We can go to the space. We can do anything you want. So I feel the people in New Zealand, especially children and teenagers, have to be able to see that, that they can achieve everything they want. So what techniques do you use in your presentation to make what are complex scientific concepts more accessible for young audiences? I think that the goal is that everybody has to feel welcome and everybody has to be able to participate. They can be children, they can be teenagers, but they also can be adults because it's enough motivating topic that everybody can be involved. So basically one is that the people can feel they can participate and they can learn something, something interesting and motivating. So just to explain things easy, we're going to show videos, we're going to show pictures, and we will try to explain the difficult and challenging background from the medical perspective in a very easy way. That's great. So why do you think it's important to start inspiring children and teens to explore science and research at a very early age? Because it's the future. Children is the future. It's, it's they can do so many things. But I think that one of the critical things is important that they have some sort of guideline, some sort of samples. Because unfortunately nowadays, um, some people don't know what to do in life, which is normal, yes. But I feel that uh, one of the difficulties is that they think sometimes that this is not something achievable for them. And I think it's the contrary. If they work hard, if they study, there's a path to do anything they want. And they can do something completely new. And there's no pattern for their lives. They can do everything they want. And if we can give examples, inspirations, if we can motivate them early in life, I think that they can do everything they want. And this is going to make a big difference because it helps just to have a motivation in life, to solve problems, uh, to know exactly what to want to do. And I think that educating children is amazing and it has to be mandatory because this is the future. Yeah, look, I think for me, when I was growing up at school, we did science and biology. They were separated out. But I still clearly remember from them the experiments we did. We did dissection, all these things that a lot of it has disappeared from schools, but it really had a big impact on me then to, to explore things. So I think you're absolutely right. We've just got to get back to doing that, don't we? I think that these, it makes a lot of sense because they, basically these type of topics, these type of experiments, they make you think, is, oh, you know, that's interesting. I want to do that. Or, you know, it's not like not everybody has to do science, but my point is like this critical thinking said, oh, you know, I have an idea. I'm going to work hard. I'm just going to make sacrifices. I'm just going to bless myself to ship something. This path, this is critical in life because you can be doing interviews. You can be doing a doctor. You can be working in a cafe shop. Anyway, you will have to know. You have to be organized. You have to have sacrifices. You have to work hard. So these mentality, these values are critical and we have to give them as soon as possible. Could you please elaborate on any scientific topics or experiments that you believe have a special appeal to young learners? I think that space is very interesting for everyone. Yes? Because like, well, you know, it's like, imagine philosophically that we are in our small town, in our small family, in our small community. Yes. And going to the space is bigger than that. It's bigger than the country. It's bigger than anywhere else. So when we talk about the space, is we're talking about something bigger than humanity. It's going away from Earth. So it's like 
big challenge. And I think that this is something very motivating for everyone. And I think that's interesting because it's like combining about technology, combining about the venture and this thing that is unknown. So I think it's very, very appealing to talk about these type of things. We will try to explain more about the journey that involves that, because I think that is more important the journey that not only the experiments, yes, but it's going to be combined of a lot of things. And basically, we will adapt to the level of the audience and their interest. So what sort of interest have you seen from your past presentations that have been really encouraging for you? I have been surprised because a lot of people have a lot of interest. Uh, and, you know, and the fact that we can be in New Zealand and we can talk, oh, this is a research that we are here, we're part of your community, and then we can just make this difference. I think that's very appealing for a lot of different people. Basically, different people can come with different questions, different interests. But I think that everybody is willing to know more. Can you please tell me about some of the research you're currently doing and how you hope it will be applied? Yes. So basically, I'm an ophthalmologist. And basically, my area of more interest is about ophthalmology, the eyes. Basically, in the space, you have to imagine that a lot of things change. It changed for all the body, but also changed for the eyes. Uh, we have been more focused about the dry eye, the movement of the ocular surface of the eye, and also we're going to be working further with glaucoma. Glaucoma is a problem related to the pressure of the eye that are higher than expected, yes, or higher than normal. And dry eye has different implications. So basically in the space we see that the fluids, instead of going down, like you can imagine for the gravity, they don't go down, they sometimes go up. So that's completely different. Is completely different. And this affects the astronauts, of course. But the knowledge that we get when we do this type of research, we expect is going to have implications on Earth. So we basically, we try to connect the knowledge that we get in zero gravity with this type of research to something we can apply. So it's always thinking about translational research, how we can make a difference with the knowledge and with the applications that we have daily life. I sort of had benefited from a lot of things because I had a tear in my cornea oh, well. and I just had it repaired and you could imagine what that would have been like years ago but but this time it was just sitting down five minutes with a laser all fixed no pain nothing incredible incredible so the, basically the knowledge of ophthalmology has changed a lot in the, in the last few years and I actually will keep contributing to make even further advancements so basically it's trying to make a difference and that's what I want to correct children and teenagers is they can make a difference. They can make a difference in science. They can make a difference in anything in life. They can do everything in life. It's achievable, it's feasible, but they can do it better. And I think that everyone can make a difference. Finally, can you give me all the details about your event in Wanaka? Perfect. So basically the idea that we got is we're going to do a small presentation and this is going to be in Wanika Library, and it will take place around, uh, uh, I think it's Monday 15th of January 2024. Uh, the session is, is scheduled at 3. Uh, it's free of course, so everyone is welcome. And basically we will adapt a little bit the presentation to the audience that we have. We will try to make it interesting and achievable to everyone that's coming. And basically, we hope that everybody has a good time. That's great. Well, Dr. March, I really appreciate your time. I know you've got surgery and things to do today. Yes. So so thank you very much for chatting to us. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Brent. Have a lovely day. Always a pleasure. And see you, Monica. On Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. The Outlet. The Talk of Wanaka. Thanks for listening to The Outlet, your local interview and information podcast for Wanaka. If you have a story or an interview you think should be featured on The Outlet podcast, get in touch by using the contact button on the navigation bar of your Wanaka app. 
The outlet is produced and published by the Wanaka app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. All episodes of the outlet are available in the podcast section of your Wanaka app and wherever you get your podcasts.